Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. We've now been living with the COVID-19 pandemic for more than 18 months. We've seen lockdowns, government stimulus, border closures, new variants, rising infections, and at last, vaccinations. Now that there's light at the end of the tunnel, I wanted to look at how safe the share market is from a COVID-induced crash. Roger Montgomery is a founder and chief investment officer of Montgomery Investment Management. Roger, welcome back to Fear and Greed. Oh, pleasure to be with you, Sean. With the vaccination rate increasing every day, can we be more confident that a COVID crash is in the rear vision mirror? Uh, Well, the short answer is no. You've got to remember that while we're we're accelerating vaccinations in Australia and there are other countries in the world with high vaccination rates, only just over 30% of the world's population is vaccinated. And what that means is that there's still roughly 70% of the world's population that are providing a host for the virus to mutate and potentially mutate into a variant that it can evade current vaccines. On top of that, we've also got a situation where we know the efficacy of the vaccines you know, decline precipitously within six months. So at six months, some of the vaccines really have only close to 50% efficacy, which means the population not only has to be fully vaccinated, but maintain that high vaccination level in order to live with some protection from current strains of the virus. So that's the negative outlook. The positive outlook is I guess, more nuanced, and it comes back to, I guess, more financial matters. So, for example, one concern is that the bond market is overvalued and due for a crash. My response to that is that if you look at US bond rates, they are, even at current rates, much more attractive than the negative rates on offer from Japan and Europe. Yep. And so there's a, a positive arbitrage or positive attraction to US bonds that, that would potentially prevent a crash. The other argument is to do with the short end of the yield curve, and that is that the US Federal Reserve and the RBA might raise rates. Well, today we had Governor Lowe, Philip Lowe from the RBA, uh, indicate that the very patchy nature of the recovery in Australia means that rates aren't likely to rise until 2024. In the United States, the Fed could raise rates four times and you would still have negative real rates. And with negative real rates, that makes equities much more attractive. So there's a lot of reasons to believe that the arguments for a crash, you know, a weak, they're not strong. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say is that crashes usually occur when something unexpected happens. So none of the scenarios that I've talked to you about are new to the market. And so, you know, I don't think there's a reason to expect a crash imminently. So I just kind of question a little bit more on that. It's the World Health Organization argument that the rich countries are vaccinated, the poor countries aren't vaccinated. And so exactly what you just said, unless everyone is vaccinated, you have a high chance of mutations, which could basically avoid vaccines. I mean, they work their way around it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is that, is that not a sort of black swan event? Is that not something out of the ordinary? Sure. That scenario would be, but at this stage, you know, we're aware of some variants 
that exist already. There's another variant in South Africa, for example, that spread to other countries in Africa. But at the moment, it's not considered a variant of concern and not even a variant of interest. So you get a lot of variants that develop and we've captured, I think we're heading towards 100 different variants now. And correct me if I'm wrong on that stat, but you know, we've had a lot of variants and many of them amount to nothing. Yeah. So it's only if they're more communicable or more aggressive and they start spreading that they become a variant of interest or a variant of concern. And at the moment, that's not the case. Look, if it, if it transpired, we could get another correction, particularly if the market started to think that it's going to send us back to square one. And if it is a variant that evades current vaccines, so not only is it more transmissible or more aggressive, but the current crop of vaccines don't do anything to protect you from it, that would be a black swan that would cause another market correction. And a bigger one than the first one, arguably, because in many sectors of the market, valuations are more stretched than they were before the first COVID outbreak. Okay. And but on all probability, that's less likely than the market continuing. Well, it may not necessarily rise strongly, but it shouldn't tumble too hard. Well, I think it pays investors to be optimists, right? I'm a glass half full guy. So yep. I will, you know, put a gun to my head and force me to choose. I'm going to choose that we'll get through this. Yep. Stay with me, Roger. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Roger Montgomery, founder and chief investment officer of Montgomery Investment Management. There's been some pretty big deals recently. Sydney Airport is obviously the big one. If you include debt, that's worth about $32 billion. You've got Oil Search and Santos, which is, I think, is $21 billion or thereabouts. Afterpay is being sold to Square. You've got Woodside BHP going on. What's that telling you about the market at the moment? These massive deals, and apart from the Westfield sale a few years back, I think they're probably the biggest deals we've had. Yeah, so uh, I wrote about this two years ago and actually in The Australian and said that this was going to happen. And then in November last year and uh, in February this year, I again forecast that we'd see a huge wave of M&A or mergers and acquisitions activity. And the reason I said that and the reason I, I expected it would happen is, number one, interest rates are very, very low. And in that environment, money's cheap. Yeah. Number two... The higher the market goes, the greater the risk of some sort of setback, which doesn't matter how big that setback is, but it crimps your returns. And so what I expected would happen is that as the market went higher, professional investors, particularly pension funds, would want to increase their weighting to a less volatile asset class. Yeah, right. And that less volatile asset class is in the alternative space is private equity and unlisted businesses. And so you've seen, for example, the future fund raise to about 17.5% their allocation to unlisted businesses or private equity and venture capital. And, you know, you can come up with all sorts of fancy excuses for why they're doing it. But the bottom line is those assets aren't marked to market. So they're not priced on a daily basis. So they show much smoother returns. So in the event of a market crash, you don't participate in that crash because <laughs> your valuations are based on the last you know, capital raising amount and provided you're invested in reasonably solid businesses or exciting businesses that people are attracted to, every time they raise money, it's at a higher amount. So you can look like your portfolio is rising, even though arguably the business isn't making a profit, it's not really worth anything. But because other people are willing to pay more for it, it just keeps going up. Because of that lack of mark to market, 
you're not marking those assets every day to a market price, they look less volatile. So that would make them more attractive to pension funds. And then the third reason is that, you know, all around the world, investors, you know, maybe not so much in Australia, but in Europe particularly, investors are getting very, very low returns, negative returns in some cases. And so the pension funds that they invest in are very happy with a 2% return or a 2.5% return because it's a downside better than zero or a negative return. And here in Australia, we've got reasonably stable businesses. They're not particularly exciting, but they're stable. They're even growing slightly and they're priced on an earnings yield of 4 or 4.5%. Well, a pension fund could pay double for that business and still give its members a 2.5% return. And that's still very attractive. And so that means that a lot of our listed businesses are attractive to pension funds and super funds because of those stable incomes and the relatively attractive earnings yield compared to what they can offer their members from other investments and what their members are are receiving elsewhere. Is that a good thing, the the power of those pension funds? Well, it's, you know, to the extent, it's a good question because it's a difficult one to answer, to the extent that they're offering their members a better return or a better yield. Yes, and if they take these businesses private, they're no longer listed. They only care about the operating performance of the business. They don't care about what the share market's doing. So it sort of smooths out returns from a capital perspective for their members, and they're getting a reliable income stream. Yep, fair enough. if If they wanted to then sell that business in the future, that might be a risky proposition because they might not get the same price. Yeah. But if they're holding it to maturity, inverted commas, you know, they're holding it forever and the business is, has a sustainable business model, then it's fine. Now, just while I've got you, I do just want to talk about the oil and gas industry for a moment. So Oil Search and Santos are joining, merging, and Kevin Gallagher, the boss of Santos, who will be in charge of the new entity, he actually said they needed size so that they can transition to a cleaner company. Yeah. Um, <laughs> VHP's oil and gas and Woodside coming together. Yesterday, BHP's annual report came out and talked about the cost of stranded assets and put a value on that. That oil and gas, notwithstanding oil prices being pretty high and gas prices are through the roof, you're still not seeing that in the valuations of those companies. Is it that investors are worried that if they invest in some of these stocks, they end up owning assets which eventually are stranded? Well, if you believe that the ESG or Environmental Social Governance Investing Tidal Wave is permanent, then yes, there is a risk that these are businesses nobody wants and therefore their valuations drop. But in the case of Australian listed oil producers or oil explorers and so forth, there come capital expenditure. There's a lot of capex needed to maintain and upgrade the asset base. Uh, And so I think that's a primary reason why a recovery in the oil price, albeit from temporary negative prices, you know, that's why we've not seen the share prices for these businesses as highly correlated as you would normally expect. They just come capital expenditure. Okay. So potentially it could be a rough couple of years, but there's still a future for some of these companies if they can invest that money. Yeah. I mean, look at what's happening with BHP. You have a situation where they're selling some assets and even that's not good enough for some investors. Some yeah. some investors are actually calling for BHP to mothball these things or shut them down, decommission them. Selling them to somebody else doesn't solve the environmental problem. 
it just permits somebody else to yeah someone else's problem produce that issue yep so you know the, the CSG movement you know it's already gained a lot of traction and I think there's merit in a lot of a lot of the ESG movement I think some of the arguments are difficult to answer you know and that's why I'm sort of sounding a little bit circumspect yeah uh, and that's because for example you know I, I know that my clients would not want me to invest in a gun manufacturer yep. uh, a weapons manufacturer and yet if you ask many of my clients would they want our military to be armed if we were invaded by China for example they would unequivocally say yes yep yep that means you have to manufacture weapons so you know on a superficial level it seems quite easy ESG seems it makes perfect sense uh, and yet when you dig a little bit deeper you realize it raises lots of uh, quite difficult questions Roger a topic for another day thank you for talking to fear and greed this morning a pleasure that was Roger Montgomery, the founder and chief investment officer of Montgomery Investment Management. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join me every morning for the full Fear and Greed podcast with all the business news you need to know. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.